Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Richard Wright, uh, you founded Wright 20th Century some 14 years ago, uh, and I appreciate your taking the time to uh, speak to me. Sure, it's a pleasure. So give me a sense of, of how your business developed, and then in a little bit we can talk about how it's been expanding recently. Yeah, I mean, I've been in the industry almost 30 years. Um, I started out in 1986 as a dealer, um, started out at a very low level, really, as a picker, and, and worked my way through all facets of the industry. Spent a lot of time traveling around the country, meeting people, and buying and selling things. Um, in Chicago, where I, where I ended up uh, uh, landing, living, I opened a small gallery um, in the 90s. And then I, after I closed that venture, I went and worked for one of the first auction houses to do a modern design auction, uh, Treadway Toomey Auction Gallery. Um, I ran that gallery, I ran the design department side of it uh, until 1999. And then I left and started my own company in 2000. And since then, you know, the market really, uh, in, in retrospect, my timing was perfect. I didn't have any sense of that. I left for other other reasons, really. Um, but the, the, the market's just expanded pretty much ever since. Is that because the design market uh, uh, took off uh, in around 2000? Was that the sort of beginning of people rediscovering uh, sort of 20th century modernism? It was. I mean, you know, there, there had been a market. I mean, obviously, at that point, I'd already been doing it for 14 years. Um, so there, there, there was a market. It was just really small. And, you know, it was largely in New York. And, you know, it wasn't until, you know, the mid-90s, the, 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 you know, the, the auction house I worked for and then a few others, uh, L.A. Modern Auction and, and, and a few others around the country started. Christie's and Sotheby's did 20th century sales, but they were, they were um, Tiffany glass and, you know, they were really focused on Art Nouveau material and art, a little bit of art, definitely Art Deco, um, but not true design. Um so the you know the market was was there, but it was really small. About 1999 really is when things started to change, um, and prices started to rise. Um, so, but in retrospect, you know the the it was still really just in its infancy. And, and what do you think uh, caused that? Well, I think it was a combination of factors. I think that, that the the interest in mid-century in particular is driven by, you know, the, the, the time factor. I mean, I think you had to get far enough away from it to see the historical importance of the material. Um, I think that a younger generation of collectors had to come into their collecting, you know, phase, their, you know, uh, uh, come into their income, I guess that would, is another way to say it. Um, and I think the tastes of, you know, the, again, the sort of Art Nouveau, Art Deco, um, the things that were really in vogue, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you know, turned, turned, turned over to a newer generation that wanted things that were a little more exciting, a little more challenging. And I mean, I see that uh, Scandinavian design has been a mainstay of what you've done uh, for a long time, and it and it still seems to have some strength, uh, but it it doesn't seem quite as um, I don't know I don't want to use the word hot, but it doesn't seem to be as uh, 
as ascendant as it was uh, a few years ago. Is that just because uh, it's become uh, familiar? It's been around for 15 years or is that just uh, I've gotten used to seeing it? I mean, honestly, I think I would I see it a bit differently. Um, I agree that it is that it is a relatively undervalued market. We have handled it, the, you know, the, the entire you know my entire career, um, but I didn't do that much with it, you know, personally um, until I don't know, maybe it's been four years now um, when we launched a series of standalone Scandinavian design auctions. I certainly did handle the material, but I began to focus on it in a different way, in a more focused way about four years ago. And in that time, and, and part of that, you know, initially, to be honest, was that I saw that I, I, I personally liked the material. I saw that there was a disconnect in the market between what um, French design was, was, was selling for, and then we did a lot with Italian design, and then Italian design got more expensive, and I thought the Scandinavian, by contrast, was, was interesting. In that time, the market has changed a lot. I mean, you know, it still is, you know, I think I, I think part of what Scandinavian design, what makes it challenging to understand is there is a lot of it in that the best material is, the, the differences are more subtle. So the subtleties of it make it, you know, make a lot of it to, to if, you, if you don't know that well, a lot of it can look sort of similar. If you understand the rarity of the best Danish furniture manufacturers, that, that, that material's been moving in price pretty consistently. Um, you know, I kind of like where the market is now. In our Scandinavian sales, we sell everything from, you know, literally $1,000 to about, I think we're still under 100 but like right at 100000 is sort of, you know, the tipping point. Um, and that's that's pretty good, you know. I, I like that spread. So to me, it's an interesting market and still gaining traction. I I was fascinated that you've been selling uh, uh, Harry Bertoya both uh, with special sales or catalogs uh, of work, but also a lot of that work over the last few years. And I'm just very curious, knowing almost nothing about that market, uh, uh, if you could tell me a bit more about it. It seems to be growing both in value and. Um, uh, visibility. You know, Bertoy has been a great market for us. We happened to have a piece in our very first auction, which was the very first piece of Bertoya I had ever handled. Um, and it was consigned by a friend of mine and it brought a nice price. It was great timing because at that point, uh, the, the market for Bertoya was very low. Um, Christie's and Sotheby's had kind of given up on the work and, and really weren't showing it. So, it was, you know, we got a good price for one little piece, good price meaning twelve or $13,000, and it went on to bring us more work. And we had a piece in the very next auction that actually was on the cover of our second auction, and it just sort of went from there. In, 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 in the 14 years since, we've sold 600 sculptures, over 600 sculptures at auction. We've done two standalone Bertoya auctions, and we did a standalone Bertoya exhibition in New York. It was our debut exhibition in our in our new New York space. The market has really grown. I mean, it built nicely for a decade. Um, really, it, it, it was always rising in value, but not. It didn't spike. It was sort of a nice. I, I like to see a gradual appreciation. I think could be very good for a market. Um, you know, the market dipped when the world dipped. Um, 
and then it, it's come back stronger than it than it was. Um, you know, uh, partly because of the work that Christie's and Sotheby's have gotten more involved in the market and started to show it in the in their fine art sales. Sotheby's did a Bertoia exhibition at the same time that we did ours, just totally by coincidence. Uh, I don't think either of us really you know, knew, knew that. It ended up being great for both of us. I know that they did well. We definitely did well. And I think that the work is, you know, being reassessed. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's serious work. It's always fallen in the sort of middle ground. It's there's no question that it's fine art, but I think Bertoia as as a as a figure, because he designed he only designed one series of furniture ever. It just happened to be incredibly commercially successful, and it's been in production ever since. Um, Bertoia was also a very humble man. He didn't work with any you know really strong dealers back in the day. He was you know he he really was a maker. Um, and, and didn't, you know, promote himself when he was alive in, in the way that, that some artists can, and I think that is an important formula in, in, in market success. So his work has, has you know, still, to my thinking, um, uh, sort of languishes institutionally. It doesn't get the attention that I believe it deserves from museums, and I think that we would see a permanent move in in Bertoia's market if some of the, the larger museums were to take a more serious look at the work. The work also encompasses, you know, it's sort of hard to categorize. I mean, it is sculpture. It's very clear that it's sculpture. Um, but the, the sounding pieces are best when they're played. They're meant to be touched. You know, it's, 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 it's participatory. Um, and I think that as in, you know, sort of an art historical figure, He's he's sort of an end in himself. He he, he is well, he was not connected with a large with any really movements or any other real artist. That, you know when he was alive, again he was sort of a soul maker um, who, who liked to work and that's what he did. And so you know we'll see. I think that the you know that the work is um, I like where the market is now. Um, it's taken seriously. The prices are you know the auction record is. Six, seven hundred thousand works have sold privately for more than that. Um, that seems pretty healthy to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the role I've played in it. And uh, you sell um, private treaty as well as at auction, uh, correct? So when you put on that kind of a show, uh, people can buy from you directly, or is it only at, at auction? Yes, uh, we do private treaty sales as well. Um, the exhibition was a mix of pieces that were just on loan that we just wanted to bring back some of our greatest hits, as it were. And then some people, you know, were willing to entertain offers and some, some work was just outright for sale. So um, it, was, it was a mixture. Talk to me a bit about how you think about both your position in the market and how to come up with the kinds of sales that you do. Because, you know, you have a bunch of interesting... Uh, you know, like I'm thinking of the living contemporary sa sales, uh, sales that mix um, uh, various kinds of artwork with design works, um, and then you have a, a number of the your long-running sort of specialized uh, design sales. And I noticed going through some of your old sales that you used to do sort of American from the 30s and the 40s, uh, a, a wide variety of artworks. I mean, you, uh, it, it seemed you were looking for categories that weren't um, featured in other auction houses. 
And so I wanted to get a sense of how you approach the market and how you think about creating sales. Sure. I mean, you know, an auction, an auctioneer, it's, you know, there's what you want to do and there's what you can do. And, you know, I think that we are always looking for, you know, opportunities in the market and for creative ways to present material. Um, I'm very interested and proud of, of being the first one to show certain things at auction. Um, being a pioneer is, is, you know, is part of what I want my brand to be about. So we've, you know, we did an auction uh, called Circus 70s, which was just 70s furniture, <clears throat> which was um, honestly almost a total failure. Um, you know, but uh, you know, we're willing to take chances and. And, you know, we've done Italian design sales, Scandinavian sales. Um, we had those, those early art sales we did were focused on, we called them the American scene. Um, uh, we've, you know, we're, we're, we're always trying different things. Part of that is, you know, um, uh, you know part of it is, like, to be honest, I'm sort of restless by nature. Um, I like to try, I li- you know, I like to take chances and, and try different things. One of the ways, you know, you know, we compete against Christie's and Sotheby's and Phillips. Those are our main competitors. Um, you know, Phillips is a is smaller and more nimble. Um, they're all three excellent houses and damn tough competition. You know, they're also multinational corporations. I mean, you know, Christie's and Sotheby's are just powerhouses. So, you know, we have to do what we can do better. We have to play to our strengths. So we are nimble. We are creative. You know, I'm the owner. I'm involved in nearly every facet of the business. I can, I work with all my specialists to make decisions very quickly, um, you know, and, 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 and we're, we're, we're always looking for creative solutions um, in crafting the deal, in looking for special collections, in our catalogs, you know, in our photography. It's, it's quality and creativity are the two things that interest me the most. When you put together and think about whether you're going to continue to do a sale, I know you used to do sort of post-war and contemporary sales, and you don't do those uh, any longer. And I had mentioned the you know the 30s and 40s uh, ideas. Is it because <clears throat> you can create something that looks like a category uh, that will attract? Uh, 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 buyers who are maybe not seeing those same categories in, in other places, or is it because you identify a whole group of collectors that uh, that are clustered around something, and you want to sort of uh, uh, create um, a sale that will uh, reach critical mass among them? Well, I mean, I, I, I should probably think of it more the way you're phrasing the question. Um, I, is 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 crazy as it sounds i usually don't think about the the audience per se when i'm crafting the sale i mean i mean that that's not totally true of course i mean i i i, I for me it starts with the material and it starts with you know what do we want what can we find how can we present it in a way that is interesting um, i believe deeply that good content gets discovered gets found so it's not that I, I, you know, we certainly cultivate our clients in it, and I'm very grateful to our clients, but I don't choose things really per se with, with you know, specific clients in mind. 
um, you know, some of, the, some of the distinctions that you were referring to speak to the struggle that we've had in trying to bring our brand, our sense of, of selling design to a fine art world, to the fine art market. Um, it's, it's been very difficult for us to cross over into that world. I've take, taken it as a personal challenge and I've worked very hard on it for nearly a decade. Um, you know, I was not trained, I have no art historical training, and I knew very little about the material. Um, and I've changed that, um, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, going to overstate my knowledge that is a category that, you know, people spend their entire lives dedicated to small segments of it. But I understand it much more now. And I believe that there, you know, it is my ambition to continue to do more fine art sales, um, we do better when we mix them with design. Um, so we do mix them with design now. Um, I, we are looking at new auction concepts that will be strictly fine art. That'll be more curatorial, smaller, um, and less, you know, less of a, just a bunch of varied works of art that we, that we can find and more focused. Um, those may meet with success or not. I will try to do those. Um, they, 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 but they're not built with any certainty of market success. And I can tell you, you know, uh, I like to talk more about my successes, but we've had plenty of failures and, you know, I'm not afraid of that. And, and, you know, I don't, I certainly don't wish for it, but I, I learn from it and, and continue to try. And so what, um, what brought you to New York? You talked about uh, the other companies being multinational. You're at least now uh, multi-city within the U.S. Uh, and I assume one part of it is just, you know, uh, to, uh, to compete uh, uh, and have a presence he here. Uh, but I suppose there are other ways to have done this, uh, especially these days when everyone's opening internet auction houses, uh, not necessarily to have, uh, you know, taken a space at, um, the old Park Bernay building, which, uh, you know, is a very significant, uh, uh choice. Sure. I mean, the, the, I mean, first of all, I would say I love New York. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Maine, uh, I, I, you know, really in, in many ways personally miss the East Coast. Chicago has been great to me professionally, um, and it's a city that's given me so many opportunities. So I've, I've, I've certainly become a Chicagoan. But New York has always been uh, our most important market, and I've always, you know, I go there all the time, I've always, you know, love the city. You know, I learned a lot about my business in 2009 um, and, and in the, you know, financial crisis that was in going through the world, um, I had to deal with it myself and I had to, to learn, you know, at that time I owned a company that had only gone up in revenue every year. So I had never done a budget. Um, I had never, you know, we, we weren't, we weren't wild, but I just didn't. You know, I didn't have to do a budget because we were, you know, more money was always coming in. That situation reversed quite dramatically, as we all know. In the, you know, the interim, one thing I learned was, you know, you know, I learned learned a lot about business, and I, I you know, I feel stronger in the, the core, the core financial health of my company. But I also learned when you're just doing your business focused all the time on the bottom line how dull that is and how the, 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 the things that are creative and the things I love the most 
really are about building and expanding. And, you know, I started in those days starting to think about when things got better and when I turned that corner, what would be my next step? And New York was first on that list. Um, it was just the right time uh, for me personally. Um, I thought it was the right time in a market cycle. And I looked at one space. You know, I, I happened to be with my wife going to an art show, and we saw that that space was available. Um, A.B. Rosen, who's a, who's a client of ours, owns the building. It was a very easy deal to do. The, you know, the location, the building, the opportunity, it was just, just all came together. Um, one thing that, that also is a hallmark of my career is I, I make decisions intuitively. And, you know, I had in my mind that I wanted to do this eventually. And this all came together at the right moment. Um, and it's, it's been great for us. So uh, what do you see as being the next uh, big thing? I mean, is there a, a, a new direction or is there something that you think you can um, uh, uh, begin to bridge into? You know, I mean, right now I'm, I'm focused on just doing excellent work. I want to continue to, to maximize the potential that we have. Um, you know, New York, we just opened it in November, so we're, we're under a year working out of that space, and we're just starting to really learn how to use it properly. Um, we just did an auction of Italian glass. It was a single owner sale um, uh, from a New Yorker, Dimitri Levis. Um, great collection of glass. And it was a project that came together with all the, the best of the auction world. It was a great collection, a great collector. I collaborate on this sale with two design, two, two, two experts in Italian glass, um, uh, uh, Jim Oliveira and Sarah Bloomberg. Um, so we have great specialists. My team here produced a beautiful catalog. My team in New York produced a perfect exhibition. You know, 700 plus people came to see it in two weeks, which is which is huge. I mean, uh, you know, for us, and the sale brought you know a two and a half times the low estimate. I mean, it was uh, a sale I I would have been happy doing 1.5 million, and we did 4.1 million. But you know, and the financial side is very meaningful and great. But I was so proud to execute perfectly on all phases of that. That's really hard to do, and. You know, I want to focus on being able to do that more. I like being able to choose small stories and tell them really well. Um, and it's great when it works. So, you know, right now, I, I, if, I, if I can make them all like the glass sale, uh, I'd, I'd be very happy. Now, just w one point that I, I wanted to remember to ask you about. You had a Barclay Hendrix on the cover of um, uh, the catalog. I guess it was a Living Contemporary catalog last year. And I, I can't remember, but I don't think the work uh, uh, sold. Um, and I'm, a, I'm fairly interested in the African-American um, art category as just as a, a category of its own. And, uh, you know, it seems to uh, have interesting dynamics. And, and Hendrix, as a, as a painter, is even, you know, a, a very striking uh, one who doesn't seem to... His, his work always seems, you know, fresh in some uh, interesting, even historical uh, way. And I just wanted to get your impressions of that, that market. I assume that was more the Hendrix than African-American art, but uh, I wanted to ask you about it. Yes, I mean, it is, I mean, I too am interested in African-American art and in the market. 
um, you know, but that, that work was driven by, by really the, the consigners who were uh, Joseph and Janet Shine, who are these great collectors out of Philadelphia that we've worked very closely with. Um, if we did end up selling the picture after the auction, um, which was great. I, th uh, I figured you would have. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was really disappointed not to sell it. It was the chicest. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, you know, we 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 as auctioneers wanted to estimate it for less money. The shines, who are beautiful people, and we've done great business together, they they work with us in one way. They tell us the price they want, <laughs> and then we take the piece and we try to get the price they want. Um, and we did. It just didn't happen that day. Uh, it happened really quickly afterwards, actually. Um, you know, so if you look at the market, we knew it was a stretch. If you know, if we had estimated that picture seventy to ninety, we would have gotten the one fifty. Um, that that you know, I, I, I think that was the number I'm trying to remember, but it's right around there um, that we were trying to get. Uh, you know, the but that that piece. And again, I, I'm, I know very little about this um, this 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 area art historically. Um, you know, I happen to be in Chicago where we have great African-American artists and a really good scene right now. Um, uh, but that, that picture, to me, you know, it was definitely, it's about race. It's not, not, not about race, but it transcends it. it. It worked on other levels for me. And, you know, I, I saw that it was the beautiful flatness that I like about Alex Katz. It was an attitude that is, you know, about our time. It was just... You know, it was, well, it also just sort of uh, screamed of the '70s and a sort of whole aesthetic. You, you talked earlier about the, you know, the '70s furniture uh, uh, sale. I mean, it very much is a uh, his work uh, evokes a real period uh, in ways that other uh, material doesn't, uh, and that's why it was so striking. One to see it on the cover, and and two, just I mean, the the eclecticism we see now, where people mix all sorts of different artistic styles and themes, uh, and furniture as well in you know the way they both collect or decorate their homes seems to me the the real story, and and it's both uh, creates a lot of opportunities uh, for people to do uh, uh, different things, but it also should create opportunities for a lot more of, of these kinds of artists or works to be discovered because there are a lot of great examples of things that aren't necessarily, uh, I hate to use the term, but brand name uh, artists. I, I absolutely believe with you, believe, you know, what you just said. And, you know, the living contemporary sales were all about that. Um, and we'll continue to explore that. I mean, I think that is, that's the way I live with, you know, I don't collect any certain period or style. Um, I collect, you know, disparate things that speak to me and that's part of the fun of it. So, and I, I think that's, that's the way it should be done or the way many people like to do it. And, and do you feel that your clientele does the same thing? And, and can I also ask you a little bit, is your clientele, uh, you know, confined to, to Chicago and New York? Is it an international uh, group that sort of finds you because of the material? It's definitely international. Um, 
it, very little actually sells in Chicago. Um, less than 5% of our annual sales are to Chicago. Um, New York is probably 30%. Um, and then the rest goes all over. Asia, Europe, um, certainly LA, Miami. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's pockets around the country. Um, and, you know, the market is driven by, by different forces. I mean, you know, as much as I just said, you know, many of us buy, you know, disparate things that we like, you know, there are very serious collectors that drive a lot of the market. And, you know, I just did a sale of Italian glass. The vast majority of that went to people who are very focused on Italian glass, and they're collecting in depth the history of one, you know, sometimes one artist. I, I certainly don't want to disparage you know, the collectors in the, the more traditional sense of, you know, buying deeply in a small category. That's, that's a big part of it. Well, uh, Richard, I really appreciate your taking the time with me. This has been fascinating. Oh, this was fun. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 